You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. <laughs> Congratulations, Mustang! You just passed yourself a fighting chance! Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergi, and we are continuing our, uh, or trudging rather, this quest to cover The Crow films with the second in the series, in the quadrilogy to date, uh, The Crow, City of Angels, released in 96, directed by Tim Pope, with a screenplay by David S. Coyer. With me is William Thrasher. Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to celebrate Christmas a little early this year. And Alex Miller. Downtown, where your family gets murdered. That's right. So, you know, this was released through um, Dimension Films, which was Miramax's kind of genre arm that did a lot of horror movies. That's the one run by uh, Bob Weinstein, not Harvey. And this came out a mere two years after the original Crow. And I, I looked up some behind the scenes stuff on it. But I think before we get started, some kind of initial impressions would be good uh for me crow city of angels it it really shows you how much of a a stylist a uh, alex proyas the director of the first one was and because because this one it just it looks cheap it, it's basically doing the same kind of storyline mm-hmm. and it i don't often say this but it seems really like disrespectful to the original yeah, it looks cheap and it feels cheap. Like there's not mm, a lot of mm-hmm. on the streets. Like there's not a lot of props. There's just a lot of you know paper blowing around in the wind. Yeah, it feels cheap. Well, my my first impression upon seeing this is that this movie, this this is the direct to Cinemax ripoff of the Crow, that nevertheless seems to have the real Crow in it, like. It's like the direct-to-video rip-off people somehow got the rights to the things they were ripping off. Like it was originally called, like, Falcon Venger or something like yeah. that. And they were like, oh, <laughs> shit, we can call it the Crow Sweet. Or Ray Vengeance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's a question I have for you, Thrasher. You might not know this, but with, um... Have you read any of the Crow comics? Like, did it always have just one Crow character? Or did it mm-hmm. bounce between different people? Well, there there are multiple, like, spirits of vengeance, like the like the dead cowboy... But unfortunately, I, I I had attempted to track down some issues of the crow between last week's episode and this one. Uh, my attempts were not successful. Mm. Uh, but I mean, with any yeah. luck, by the time we get to the fourth one, I will have read some of the original comic. Okay, yeah, because I, I was reminded a bit of um, I read some of the Dark Horse comics for the Mask when we looked at those, and on note, and in the comics, like that the main character from the movie Stanley Epkiss gets murdered pretty early on and like the girlfriend puts on the mask like the mask keeps on going on different people and um and and I look at this and the crow you have it be another uh a man puts on you know gets killed and does revenge like why not have the child do it why not have the girlfriend do it 
Right, and like you said with the disrespectful thing, I really feel like the, like the the only inspiration of this movie, I feel like some producer was like, I want that Brandon Lee feel, and that's about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that's really yeah. all that went into casting of Vincent Perez, who I actually recognized from, I mean, this might not be a very popular thing, but from the last uh, Roman Polanski movie, and he's actually pretty good oh. in it. He's just not very good in this because they're not giving him a lot to do because it feels like he's just doing a bad Brandon Lee impression. Like And like you said, it kind of feels disrespectful. <laughs> and, and I mean, this was his English language debut as well. He was, um, you know, raised in uh, Switzerland, but he's half Spanish, half German. Uh, and it's, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. You know, he's been in a lot of different things over the years, mainly... Um, Mainly foreign films. I mean, he was in. Oh, this is something we talked about a while, Thrasher ago. Uh, he was Marius in Queen of the Damned. Oh was, yeah, that one. Oh uh-huh. yeah. But but otherwise, you know, these. I'm looking over his uh, IMDb. It's mainly like uh, French productions or. Yeah, a lot of not well, not a lot of stuff that gets exported out here mm-hmm. either. Yeah, aside which from, is too bad. But yeah. Hey, do you know there is a Sierra connection? Uh, what would that be? So, uh, uh, Holly Chant, who plays the peep show performer Holly Days, she appeared in the Sierra video game Phantasmagoria as Victoria. Oh, okay. Oh, he played Fan Fan the Tulip, which is like a French medieval adventure, hmm. I don't want to say franchise, but legend. Um, in a remake in 2003. I didn't know this existed, but the original one from 53 is really fun. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's he's good in other stuff. I mean, this, when he has the, the makeup on, which I think is a lot worse in this movie, he kind yeah. of resembles Brandon Lee with some of the, the facial features. It says, uh, believe in the power of another, is what the poster says. He's doing like a Batman pose. <laughs> gargoyle, which I don't think he ever, <laughs> he, he don't think he ever does in the movie. And uh, the director of this, Tim Pope did um, a lot of music videos for The Cure, but also did some like UK comedy stuff. And since then, he, I mean, he, I don't, yeah. Well, he'd done some uh, music video and rockumentary stuff for Iggy Pop before, which is, I'm sure, how we got Iggy Pop. Makes sense. Yeah. I would argue he puts it in the best performance of all the actors here. Yeah, he's actually good. I'm not familiar with Iggy Pop's music really, but he. It definitely looks the part of the the gang of bad guys and has kind of a sense of humor about it. It's more, a more memorable performance. And um, let's play our little box office game. So domestic box office, meaning the U.S. and Canada, for '96. Where do you think Crow City of Angels landed? Seventeenth. Mm. No. What do you say? Higher. Lower. Ooh, I'm gonna say twenty-third. Ninety-eight. Holy. Dog so it, it it had an opening weekend, I think, of number two, which is pretty good, or maybe number one. But then it, it, it just crow sequel, you know, yeah, yeah, gonna... and the first crow sequel, yeah. and and I mean, I hate saying this, but I do think it's true. With the crow, with Brandon Lee dying, I think that it, that made people more interested in the movie that maybe wouldn't have been kind of the same with right. the Dark Knight and Heath Ledger. Although Batman, I mean, is so much more popular. That's not a great comparison, but but yeah, um, like 
even the tagline says like believe in the power of another is basically saying like please like this other crow movie yeah <laughs> we don't have brendan lee but we have another guy i know at, like, at, at like, least the guy's name isn't the same or it's not trying to be the same character i mean it does feel like a backdoor pilot for a tv show there was later a tv show called the crow stairway to heaven that okay. never got an official or if it got a release in the united states it was just like a best of five episode thing but in the uk it got a release i'm thinking of importing but i don't know um it doesn't in that and in that one the guy that plays the crow is the current iron chef an american iron chef mark DeSascos, oh, okay, cool. who was also in double dragon and did um the martial artist in his own right nice. um yeah, Anyhow, I mean, yeah, I think that's a that's a real missed opportunity in this movie because it, because since you know presumably the the crows can bring back anybody as a spirit of vengeance, you mm. could have gone with a completely different type of person. Yes, but instead they've worked they've worked, and I will admit they put in the work they put in the work to make this crow indistinguishable from the original crow. Uh, if only because his makeup and clothing choices are all made by the character Sarah, who is the only returning character from the previous film. I'm not even convinced you needed that connection to the first film. It, it yeah, seemed, it just make it its own thing, I guess. Kind of I mean, forest, like, like she looked really different, and then like you move from like one city that's on fire to another one that looks like shit. Like, I don't know well, was the thing I was trying to figure out: is this the same city? Did like after the event? No, of the first it can't film, be. No, the police the city just of throw up their hands. And leave? It's, it's, it's Los Angeles. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. I, I do want to say for the year this came out in 96, you want to guess what the top three films were domestically? Oh. Didn't Escape from L.A. come out this year? Um, don't know. It doesn't look like okay. it. Um, what, yeah, I wonder what else came out. Yeah, so number three, Mission Impossible, the first one with Tom Cruise. Number two, oh, no Twist. Shit. Number two, Twister. I don't remember that being that popular, but I guess it was. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Screenplay by Michael Creighton. Uh, was it number an F5 one, huge. <laughs> number one, Independence Day, which just ruled oh, everything yeah. that year. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a no-brainer. That was huge. Well, Dragonheart came out that year. Oh, cool! I remember that. But it, it did less sequels. We could do that. It did. Oh, it yeah. did less. It made less money than the Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Bill Cosby, Robin Williams picture, Jack. Oh my goodness, oh. Jack! I saw that in the theater actually. I don't know. It, oh no, I saw what Father's Day, which had. Uh, Oh, Billy Robin Crystal. Williams and Billy Crystal, not not great. But they, yeah. the script was bad, and the director who did Ghostbusters said, "You guys can be funny, right?" And they're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Actually, if you want to get Sugar Ray in it too, I think the band. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. If if you want to get into a latter day Robin Williams performance, though, definitely check out a Father of the Year directed by Bobcat Goldwaite. I've heard oh, about that's that. So one. depressing. World's Greatest Dad, I think, is the name of it. Um, Are we at World's Greatest Dad? It's it's really good. Very, but yeah. it's weird watching in the, I don't know. There's some stuff that's kind of related to how he died in it. That, well, uh, true, true. But yeah, no, it's good. Very uh, depressing as Bobcat Goldthwait things are, you know, dark comedy. But yeah, back to Crow City of Angels. Um, where to begin with this? I mean, so this is the same Sarah from the first one, right? So, yeah, it's supposed like, to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Yep. Okay. It feels a little inconsistent because don't you think after like seeing her mom struggle with like addiction and all the shit she saw in the first movie, wouldn't you want to see her like as like a successor? Wouldn't you want to see her like a law firm or like going to college or something, you know? Or maybe she, she goes kinda, like, to the country and has a farm. Maybe, you know, she'd want to just get away from the city. Yeah, and so she's just kind of like slumming around at a tattoo shop, you know? I'm mean, not saying there's anything wrong with being a tattoo artist, but it just kind of feels like, eh. Like, we're just kind of retreading the same old shit, you know? I mean, well, she, she kind of 
clairvoyant. She has these like dreams of like what happened to uh, the main character Ash and his son about how they died and yeah, well, yeah. Well, like th- th- if anything, this movie is even more '90s than the first movie, and she yes. really does embody spooky '90s chick. Yeah, by, like the craft spooky, and all that. It's like yeah, they have tattoos. They the hair is kind of shorter. They have a bit of the raspy voice. Uh, this is like when like mom became aware of what goth was, you know. <laughs> this yeah. was in the last few years when smoking was cool. Right. right. I mean, Mia Kirshner plays Sarah in this one. She's not bad, but I think she also visually doesn't resemble the girl from the first one at all, who was really kind of soft spoken and had some tender hearted scenes. And in this one, she's just kind of there. They they give her some dialogue, but it's it's not. Yeah, it's uh, pretty flat. They so keep part. So do you think her mom relapsed or she just moved away or like, where's her, where's her mom and all this? Yeah. Cause she was featured pretty prominently in the first movie. I mean, mm-hmm. do I, I'm wondering, did she kind of, I don't know. Did she, was she loaded on a bus with like a two week supply of hot dogs and, <laughs> you know, maybe went to a city. I have no idea. I'd like went to Los Angeles and got kind of witness protection program. I have no idea. Right, like it's, yeah. Uh, I, I do want to mention something I touched on earlier. Screenplay by David S. Goyer, who has done a lot of superhero stuff, right? He wrote the script for uh, Blade, uh, which was kind of kicked off the new renaissance. In the, in yeah, the a lot of DC that, stuff. That was yes. the film that broke the Mighty Marvel movie curse. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, more recently did the, uh, the Dark Bat- Knight trilogy. Christopher Batman Nolan. v Superman colon oh, Dawn of Justice. Boy. <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, he's so he's done... All kinds of work. Did did the TV movie of um, oh the one with Hasselhoff that was Marvel, Sergeant uh, Fury? Oh, was the that Nick it? Fury movie. Nick, Nick Fury, yes, because he was white with the kind of looked like Hasselhoff really in the old comics. Yeah. Um, which uh, did have the flying fortress, surprisingly, but that's neither here nor there. And please, uh, please, it's called the Helicarrier. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't care, but so with Crow <laughs> City of Angels with the script, David Escorier apparently was friends with Brandon Lee, didn't want to do this, but felt like mm-hmm. his the original script was quite different. The Crow was a woman. Um, there you go. The, the bad guy was based off Jack the Ripper. It had an opening in London. Wow. Uh, I, I think it was you know probably more ambitious. And then the script was heavily uh, rewrote, um, rewritten, you know, by someone else that didn't get credit why david goyer didn't try to like arbitrate it and or, or go with the uh, alan smithy or something is a bit curious but i'm sure i mean he was quite busy at, at this time in the 90s he also was working on dark city uh mm-hmm. by alex Proyas, which is an excellent excellent film um yeah it's underrated terrific yeah roger ebert one of the rare movies he did a commentary for um that's awesome and even early in early for the internet, I guess, Roger Ebert released some audio commentaries as MP3s people could download before podcasting was a thing. Yeah, that's right. What a guy. For, for, uh, I think it was when he did an article for like Yahoo Internet Life magazine. There's a Casablanca. Um, I'm sure some of those exist somewhere. But Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, it makes me wonder, with all of the Jack the Ripper connections and the original script, do you think they mm-hmm. might have couched that because um, From Hell came out kind of peripheral to this? I think From Hell was probably in development at this point. I think so. Because right. came out in 2000. Maybe. I also think they just wanted to keep the budget low and not film overseas. Yeah. Well, I mean, so much of this movie is just filmed in alleys that exist only in back lots. And, and yes. I, I will say, like, the model work... I, I praise the model work in the first movie. I'm going to continue to praise it here 
This is clearly just models. All the establishing shots are models, but they're really good models, and everything that makes them look fake only makes me love it more. It's like I'm watching a really, really grim staged opera. But yeah, they the, get um... so close to these models, you can tell the gauge of of HO railroad scale brickwork text brick texture that is on some of these buildings. <laughs> but the lighting is so blown out. Yeah. I mean in, in the original crow, like everything's dark and moody. You got like fires and trash cans everywhere and stuff. It and has rain little... and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well this just doesn't have the texture. You have you do have the smoke in some of the scenes and the, the lawn shots and the motorcycle going down the alleyway. I mean that looks like they reuse that footage ten times in this movie. But oh, I know, that's I know. That's well. That's one th- another thing that kind of grounds us in '90s. The movie uses a really limited color palette to the point where mm. virtually every scene has one dominant color, and all the other colors is washed out. Yeah, they're kind of going for this like sepia night of the comet look, I guess. Um, and that's the thing too is that like so the last movie was like the rainy neo noir hellhole. So I guess they're going for a little contrast with like a kind of this like you know sagebrush sun baked kind of hellhole, but it's like dark. So it just kind of feels, it just bumps, you know? Like well, every, every scene is filmed in Crime Alley from any recent Yeah, Batman. exactly. <laughs> I'm waiting for the guy with the switchblade to come out, you know? Well, uh, and, and the idea they have here of what's edgy, there's like a, some S&M club, there's like a tattoo parlor. There's like a, they keep a, a going sex. back to that S&M club. They, oh, they do. There, there's like the, the peekaboo, um, you know, there's like porn shop with the uh, jack-off uh, things. In the, yeah. Uh, Peep show, thank you. Um, and that's the thing is that, like, there's, you know, there's, like, this, like, you know, fetishy kind of golf culture vibe you got with the old one, you know, and there was some, you know, kind of freaky, kinky stuff going on and what have you. And this one just feels clumsily trying to imitate that. And, like, if you kind of went, if you did with this what you did, like, what Clive Barker did with the Hellraiser movies, sure, or sure. The first yeah. two, you would have kind of a vibe to go off of, whereas this movie just doesn't have real any vibe to it. it but, you know, it doesn't it, really go all yeah, in. Yeah, it, it thinks it's being sexy, but it's not. I mean, I'm reminded a bit of, like, 8mm, the Nicolas Cage movie, where it, it, right. it, it tries to be like, oh, look how seedy this stuff is. And it's like, not when you light it like that, not when you... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you just have a few, you know, extras with, with rubber pieces on and... Well, this multi-story S&M club, I will admit <laughs> what it lacks in quality, it makes up for in quantity. <laughs> yeah, it's quite crowded. I do There's like the shot it, yeah. when you enter it that it has this, it looks a bit like the human centipede poster where you have these. Um, oh, the people in the flesh tubes? The people in the flesh tubes. That was kind of cool. Like, <laughs> I like that. But um, yeah, Crow City of Angels. I mean, so you start off in the main character. His name is an Eric Draven. It's Ash Corvin. Like, okay. Another raven name. <laughs> right. And his, his eight-year-old son, Danny, and they get, like, the, the murder is pretty brutal. And the whole time I was like, I want the eight-year-old to be the crow and killing people. Like, that'd be weird. I'd, I'd yeah. rather see that movie. But well, it, I it's expecting depressing. the ghost of the kid to show up. Oh, yeah. The, and he does, but it's so late in the movie. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, we're doing this now. And... I mean, they, they, the producers did recut this heavily to kind of mirror the structure of the original. A lot of footage was lost. Yeah. Was lost and then, like, and... you don't even get, like, ironic deaths in this one either. Like, No, it's not funny. It's just that they just happen. And, God, Vincent Perez's performance, I mean, it, it's his first English performance, uh, or at least a first, you know, big performance in the U.S. Yeah. And when Brendan Lee was was the crow, he, you know... Had kind of a sense of humor. He seemed to kind of relish it, relish life, and all these things. 
And yeah. Vincent Perez just like shouts all his lines, and he sometimes really, like, and or yeah. he mumbles them, and you can't quite get what he's doing. He's not doing an imitation of Brendan Lee, and I'll give him credit for that. But on the other hand, it's just he, he doesn't come off as a presence. He just kind of sits there. The bad guys are much more interesting. You have Iggy Pop, Richard yeah. Brooks. I think is especially good as kind of the head. I guy. think he's really interesting in this as kind of this like you know like witchy androgynoid greasy guy you know um but yeah the thing with the thing with the crow is that the, i think the big flaw here is that the thing with the first crow is that you know he's not like a stoic badass like he talks the crow has a voice you know he, he he has a lot of you know dialogue so when you cast someone who's probably you know english is not definitely not their first language you know you don't want to have another very talky crow if that's what you're you know if you're going to imitate the brandon lee thing you know give the dialogue and give the vocal inflections a little more presence and maybe not cast someone who this is their English language debut. <laughs> well, so I, I want to, you mentioned like the androgynous villains. I, I got to say this, this is a very queer movie. And I mean that in like the best way, oh, yeah. uh, virtually all the villains have have like gender non-conforming traits or have like you know have there's kind of like a swish and a swagger to everything they do but it also carries over to the crow in this film like the crow and i, and I thought about this so you know we, this all happens because the crow and his son are murdered we don't get any indication that there's a mother to the point where like mm. I, i'm looking at this and like are we i i the vibe i picked up is that this is a gay single father, and that that's who this yeah. crow is? It crossed my mind definitely, um, and that would have been something to like a much more. Uh, that'd be an interesting avenue to explore in the movie, but I, it just seems like the movie's so disinterested in exploring anything. Well, and, I that... think, and I think that's the that's the problem because like if like I so I so want this this version of the crow to be gay, but th- there but and you know this this is. Uh, you, they they have to have one scene to give him a case of the not gays because uh, there's that scene where arbitrarily he seems to be attracted uh, to Sarah. That's like we can't do this, can't do what? You're barely making an effort. I wish that scene wasn't in the movie at all. It is just like necessary, and it's just staring at each other. Yeah. Um, apparently, there was an extended director's cut of this released on DVD. The one we watched was the theatrical cut. Um, it's about 10 minutes longer, so... Yeah, the want... um, cut, I, I rewatched some of this in preparation for the episode. Um, it was called the extended, um, the enhanced work print, and there was a lot of captions with, you know, explaining scenes that were omitted and stuff. And, like, you know, maybe someone out there is probably going to tell you that the, like, movie in its entirety is, is a is a misunderstood masterpiece but i don't think no one's going to really convince me that this is a good movie deep down i'm sorry maybe it is maybe it's not i would give it a try another try if that was the case but i don't know um and also you know it's kind of creepy if there's like the sexual tension between you know this the crow and then sarah isn't that kind of creepy because he was definitely like a fatherly figure in the first movie well, yeah, yeah. But it's a different. It's a different guy. Although speaking speaking of that, so 
you know, you know, Sarah's all grown up in this one. So of course we need a we need a street waif for the crow to save. So there's an arbitrary street waif in this movie who's hooked who's hooked on a mystery drug. I don't know what the drug is. It's like you snort it like cocaine, but it's mm-hmm. black. Uh, and right. it comes in these wrappers. It comes in these artisanal wrappers that have like Artie Kilowatt on it, but it's Artie Kilowatt with a devil face. Which yeah, it's so stupid. Which is totally drug packaging that would exist in the nineties. Some you right. know, Artie Kilowatt. Artie Kilowatt was still re- like relatively well known or remembered as a fifties throwback thing that nineties drug users d- would definitely have ironically used. And you know, so he cur- cures her of her drug addiction, which is also one of the few scenes where his ability to perform prestidigitation <laughs> has any effect on the movie. Or like he just yeah. you know makes it spontaneously combust, but when he does it, like he keeps stroking her hair in this really creepy way. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and it's funny too because like reading the synopsis on Letterboxd, it literally says, "After Ash and his little son are murdered violently for no reason by Judas men, he returns from the dead to take revenge." And it's like, yeah, for no reason. A lot of things happen in this movie for really no good reason. Well, it's not strictly no reason. Like they witness a, they hear a gunshot outside of his motorcycle repair shop, and they end up witnessing a murder. They end up witnessing a hit being conducted by like five people with two other people watching, waiting in a car. We Film find it. out later. Yeah. Uh, and so, oh well, they, he said no witnesses, so they kill them. Although rather than just shooting them and leaving them in the street. It has to be horrific. So they tie oh, yeah, him together, no. carry him to the docks, shoot the kid, and then throw them both overboard so they so that the so that the crow drowns. I know, yeah. Leaving no witnesses. It's like they put a lot of time into that witness. And, but and recording when... it. They record it on a yeah. camcorder yeah. and then later they review that footage in their lair. Yeah, right. I mean, these are some bad criminals, man. Like not bad isn't like they're bad at they're just bad criminals. Like they're not very good at crime. <laughs> You you have also um, when the the character comes back, uh, Ash comes back as the crow. He's kind of you know nursed to health, kind of by uh, Sarah, and in, instead of like there's a good scene in that first one, or the, a lot of good scenes, but when like he he returns to the scene where he was murdered and he jumps out the window and he survives and he seems he seems gleeful about it. There, there's kind of a process, but here all this crow does is just cry. And you get more flashbacks of him and his son being murdered, and it yeah, which is something we definitely don't need. I mean, that felt no, like... no, it's at the beginning, even with a few scene glimpses, you get it, and they they really shove it in your face as he uh, takes out the guys one by one, kind of in order of their importance. Which I'm not sure why you would do it that way. Yeah, uh, exactly. He we have to level up their hierarchy the when they were killing him. <laughs> right. I mean, and then you ha- you have to have the flashback to show exactly what the guy said before him and his son were killed. Right. Um, well, they keep you know, harkening back to this. This this really prefigures the the Batman films over reliance on the crime alley scene. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's in almost every Batman film. It seems like a Thrasher. You know, there did you get the Power Rangers connection here? Yeah, Tui, Tui Trang, who played the original uh, Yellow Ranger in the original series of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. She's technically not the original because it was a different actress, I believe, in the pilot. But anyway, yeah, she she plays uh, she plays Callie, uh, one of the one of the upper level henchmen. She she's the one that sings a shitty nursery rhyme before the baby before the, the son dies, um, and she does have like. 
this is such a different role. She really does project a lot of menace and a lot of weird, like creepy sensuality. So I really enjoyed her performance in here. The problem comes in the showdown between her and the crow, because what should be an amazing fight sequence, because she's very good physically and, and and does know, uh, martial arts but it's filmed so awkwardly there's so many cuts and so many close-ups and she's using escrima which is a woefully underrepresented martial arts it's a philippine uh, stick fighting style but the, you you don't really get a showcase of her talents it's just a bunch of awkward cuts uh and then suddenly she's thrown against a wall and is dispatched yeah that's pretty anemic it's pretty weak um and the other thing too is that so the guy's a mechanic right the ash other yes. name whatever his name he's is a mechanic, a mechanic. Who's, who has a hobby for magic he's uh, yeah again so like his motor so he's got a motorcycle so he gave him something a little different that's kind of cool right you couldn't have him like trick it out with like a blade or something you know mm. he couldn't like fashion like a vengeance sword or something like that you know or like it, you know it, it couldn't be a two-seater where the crow sits in the second seat <laughs> yeah, or like at least like clobber someone with a freaking like lug wrench or something. Like you couldn't like work the mechanic angle into it much more. Like well, I don't know, maybe magic like thing too. Like it only really works to sort of endear him to his son when you're showing his son a card trick with a levitating card. As near as I can tell, the magic only comes up twice. Once when he's going after the first guy uh, who's like packaging the drugs when he does the whole pick a card. And they yeah, go through the whole so card stupid. thing, but it's so arbitrary. Like, I was thinking, oh, he's going to do something spooky. He's going to draw the same card the guy picked. No, it's just an arbitrary card. Then he blows the place up. Yeah, um, that's so stupid. It's like, pick a card. And then you later... You couldn't, like, gambit it or anything, right? Yeah. And then later, when he takes the drugs from the street wave and, like, makes it catch on fire by snapping his fingers to break her drug addiction, like, that's it. Like... I, I kept waiting for some, like, I kept waiting for him to, like, pick someone's pocket or do a misdirect or, or something. Yeah, I kept, it's so I, dumb. Like, I thought the the magic, I thought the sleight of hand was how he was going to defeat the big bad. If only because, like, like the villains in the first one, the big bad, like, knows about the supernatural. Right. And has a psychic oracle as his personal assistant. <laughs> And I thought the stupid thing, too, was that, so he's a mechanic that knows magic. You want a fucking magician? A magician is a mechanic that can fix shit, that stays fixed, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> make, his, make his mechanic skills be the superpower, all right? That would have been fine. Now, Richard Brooks is Judah. I, I like. He has this like, creepy like, yeah. voice that he uses. He, he yeah. He's a commanding presence. Um, he's very shirtless. He wears, a, he wears that. Oh, like, oh yeah. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Do you love The Legend of Zelda? Here at Chat of the Wild, a game club podcast, we have been using our lens of truth to do deep dives on your favorite action-adventure series to find out what makes this franchise so amazing. Join us right now as we sail through The Wind Waker or check out any of our past seasons. New episodes drop every Wednesday here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Yep. Again, it's like it's 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 a, like a very it's it's like very like not traditional masculinity. There there is something there is something queer about the performance which I really like. Oh, but yeah, what, do you want to talk about some? I don't know if this is typecasting or a bad joke. So Richard Brooks plays uh, Judah Earl in this film, a uh, a deep voiced but soft spoken pseudo philosophical villain. 
in the TV series Firefly, he plays Jubal Early, a deep-voiced, <laughs> soft-spoken, pseudo-philosophical villain. Connection? I, I think it almost has to be. That can't be... It's gotta be. ...a coincidence. Um, so you get... I mean... That they even did the same kind of plot stuff as the first is pretty lazy. They try to do a Day of the Dead thing that doesn't quite work. Like, the character's not Mexican, and uh, yeah, it just seems they're just, like, appropriating it for, like, this is a death imagery thing. Right, that's slightly different, I guess. And, like, you know, the first one leaned into, like, you know, like the, I guess, like, Judeo-Christian iconography a little bit. But not, like, so heavily to the point where you couldn't really revisit it in some way. Like, the, I guess the Day of the Dead stuff kind of vibed with, like, the sunbake look of everything. But it definitely felt just a little cheap and different. Like, they're just trying to be different in a very cheap way. And like, there was, do. like, a stay yeah. on Day of the Dead stuff somewhere. Right. And, and you have... um I mean, when he kills people in this, they make it really obvious he leaves, like, a crow in, in blood or something behind it yeah. as his calling card, and it just looks... Well, that's his other superpower. He can make cheesy. bird-shaped things. Right. Out of, yes. all, like, out of the kill sequences, I mean, the one I thought that was kind of clever is you have um, Nemo, played by a young Thomas Jane, mm. is in the, the peeping booth, and then, like, the lights go out and the lights go back on. It's the crow. So, you know, well, the, the divider the comes peeping. back up. Yeah, the divider comes back up. Right. And the whole time, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for the divider to go up and the crow to be there. So, like, that worked. That built some tension. Mm-hmm. And, and that death, you know, being murdered in a peep show booth by, by, the, by the person on the other side of the glass, that is as close as we come to an ironic death, if only because that ties in to uh, the character's vices. Oh, and him jumping through the window at him is cool. And, I mean, he's in the peeping booth, so he's in a private area by himself. Although, we do find out afterwards, when when the other criminals come to investigate the murder, uh, the the phone in the peep show booth rings, because that's how you talk to the performer. They pick it up and have a conversation with the crow, who's in a a phone booth down the street. And and it's like, oh, well, you can call into and out of the peep show booth. (laughs) And then I just immediately imagine, what if you got the wrong number and accidentally called the pervert in the peep show booth? I know, right? That's... Or the pervert in the peep show booth called out accidentally. That would have been a great one-liner if, like, the cop hung up and was like, how do you get that number? You know? <laughs> right. And this is also, actually, this is also, because um, uh, one of the the, de- the death scenes that I did kind of like is when he finally, there, there's a whole running thing in here where um, Iggy Pop, as Curb, is that he has this new tattoo on his chest and he keeps getting into arguments with people about what, oh, it's a black, it's a black bird. No, it's supposed to be two demons facing off. Uh, and in fact, we do see the design of the two demons facing off. It does not look like that to the point where like, he he has a legitimate grievance over Sarah who did the tattoo. That does not look like the design of two demons facing off. Right. And, but and where, like, where was the tattoo again? It was on his chest? chest. Yeah, it was on his chest just about over his heart. Uh, and so he and admittedly, like it. there are tattoo, there are people who get tattoos who do go to the tattoo artist and say, you know, give me what you feel should be there. But when you go to the tattoo artist, like you've got a lawsuit on your hands if you if you pay for one design and get a completely different design. He should have just taken her to court. I want to see them in court. But anyway, uh, you know that's <laughs> you know the whole foreshadowing. So finally, when he's being chased around town, it's a motorcycle chase with the crow. Um, you know, finally he's like, I'm not afraid of you. And, you know, they, they drive into each 
other. There's a horrible crash, an explosion. Uh, Iggy Pop is dying, and it's just kind of like neat where like the crow starts waxing philosophical about how the ancient Greeks would put a coin in the mouth of the dead to take mm-hmm. them across the river, and he then t- takes him to the river and puts him in floating, and like the flowers come down to make the crow shape. That that I liked, but there's a but there was a piece missing. We never get a good look at the coin. So once again, he could have used sleight of hand to make the coin appear in his hand. That would have been great and tied into things. But also, that should have been a peep show token. Yeah, uh-huh. have been right. Sense. Or you know, again, go to the ironic department and like he shoves like a bunch of coins down his mouth or something. And, you know, there's a lot of possibility here to do the ironic death thing, and they don't oh. really capitalize on that. So the fact that things become crow-shaped when they're around the crow in this movie, I just yeah. imagine, what if what if he killed someone in a bakery and so all the cookies come out <laughs> of the oven crow-shaped? <laughs> and then you see, like, the police investigating the murder all eating the crow-shaped cookies. <laughs> yeah, this... I mean, overall, this this movie is just dumb. I don't like it. We, I think we've, we've talked about it enough. Uh, well, well, we got it. We need to go over the climax because once sure, again, of course. Bec- because the bad guys know about magic, they really quickly get to the, oh yeah, the bird's the source of his power. Let's just take the bird. And oh, so that's they right. Ca- they, they torture they capture the, bird. the bird. And, you know, he dr- he kills the bird, drinks the blood of the bird, take gets crow powers. <laughs> and so now he's immortal. And the crow isn't, and they have a fight in the street, and, like, you know, uh, Judah can't die. Uh, then, of course, Sarah gets stabbed because the female lead now has to die. That's another bad, bad screenwriting <laughs> habit that crops up here, possibly for the first time uh, in, in Goyer's work. But anyway, uh, yeah, and and... So the crow defeats Judah with an arbitrary power because it turns out all the other crows are connected to spirits of vengeance. So he like channels all the city's crows through mm-hmm. his body, which make Judah disappear in a bad digital effect. Yeah, that was really stupid too. Um, we do get a murder a crow reference in this though, don't we? Yeah. Well, they, they, yeah, yeah, they, they he says, you know what they call a group of crows? A murder. Right, right. Yeah, I was waiting for someone to use that. Um, I guess, I guess you get like a point for that crow to city of angels. I'll give you that. I mean, I'll say Iggy in it's, it's what some good points. Um, Richard Brooks and Iggy pop are fun. They've got some energy. Um, Richard Brooks, especially Iggy pop's always good. He's a natural performer. So as a crossover artist and acting, he's always pretty fun to watch, whether it's this or uh dead man's another fun Iggy pop performance. Hey, the um, Deftones are as themselves in this movie. Cool. Yeah, the soundtrack has got, like, the best and brightest of the mid to late 90s rock scene. With, uh, oh, it's got Bush covering Joy Division. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody asked for that, no. So, Alex, do you give it. this a sequel yes or sequel no? I'm going to give this a uh, good old-fashioned sequel no. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'd say this is a sequel no. It, it feels like a like a copy of a copy of a copy of the original. You get a few fun moments. The bad guys in this are fun, but it's not yeah. enough to to get it over the the finish line. Uh, as that cat is meowing in the background, I think Sorry. the cat the kitty agrees. Yeah, Simple no, like it either. Rasher. All right, you're you're gonna hate this, but I <laughs> like this is a terrible movie. 
but yeah. I consider it the good kind of bad. I had so much fun watching this, so much fun reveling in its 90s-ness in the S&M Club, in Iggy Pop. I'm giving this a sequel, yes. If you're going to see one terrible Crow movie, it should be The Crow, City of Angels. Well, you, you might be eating Crow in a few weeks when we're done talking about the other ones. I don't know. Like, I when I, I did sort of a, um, a survey on Twitter about these sequels, and people seem to say this movie is like bad but boring some of the other ones are so bad it's good some people claim next week's movie we're looking at the crow salvation is better than the original um Ooh, so okay. we'll good. we'll see and and the last one i've heard is just so bad it's funny that has the uh eddie furlong as the crow you know if we can find okay. it should we do like the first episode of the tv series nope okay <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'm surprised he didn't work in like an ash reference. Like, uh, this is my eruption. Choke on the ash. Well, there are kids like, you know, singing like when he when he's when the crow's being killed, there are kids in the street singing rashes, ashes. We all fall down like that. Oh, yeah. yeah, That's but the soundtrack is so muddled. You know, what was really creepy is when the crow has his powers taken away and he falls. And like then he sees the ghost of his son is like, if you don't finish it, we can't be together. (laughs) <laughs> that is some dark shit. Like, what that is. What kind of God would keep a father and son separated if the father then, doesn't finish committing a series <laughs> of vengeful murders? And then tease him with the ghost of his dead kid as an undead like, Avenger. Yeah. yeah, Unless it's like, well, the work is unfinished, so you can't find rest. Okay, maybe I can see that. But that is, right. that. like, I, w- I wish the kid hadn't shown up as a ghost at that point. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, so to pitch a sequel... I think what what I would do for for mine is I would set it in uh, in the cavemen times, and <laughs> a you know uh, the the cavemen let's just call him the main one let's call him Uga Booga or something is is walking the <laughs> lawn and and sees uh, you know caveman number two club caveman number three to death and and he can't get away and so he gets killed and he comes back as a is a crow the crow magnon comes back as a crow magnon and he uh you know seeks revenge um and the the soundtrack would be covers of goth music using like really primitive instruments like banging rocks together like like banging rock yeah it's all like banging rocks it's all using natural nature found objects may i suggest a title um sure the crow city of bedrock that's good. That's good. And uh, the the poster would just be like a, a cave painting, but like of a crow. It'd be it'd be kind of a classy looking poster. And um, but as part of the merchandise, you know, there'd be a T-shirt that would say like "Get Stoned" or something. <laughs> crow City of Bedrock. Not not. Let's get ready to rock and roll. Or is there any dialogue, or is it like a quest for a fire thing, or when it's kind of like grunts and groans, like. Argh. It is um, grunts and groans with, there's no subtitle, but you get David Attenborough to, to do narration now and then. Ooh, classy. And so the crow spots an opportunity for an ironic death. <laughs> Machiavellian he is, though primitive he, he is. As he picks up the rock, he lowers it on, his, on the head of his foe again and again and again. Yeah. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, Thrasher, what's your pitch of sequel? All right. So 
the my my sequel since we since Sybil survived, uh, we're gonna find out that Sybil, the Oracle, is in fact the real brains behind uh, Judah's criminal empire. So she builds it back up greater than ever mm. using her gift for future sight. Um, and she, but if anything, her gang is even more supernatural. They're like casting spells and putting wards and runes on things all over the city. Uh, you know, her drugs are powered by magic. So since through Judah. Her actions uh, got uh, Sarah killed. Sarah's going to come back on the one-year anniversary of her death as the next crow. And she already knows how all the rules work, and she already has the makeup and outfit. So she really, it's a real quick transition to her becoming the full-on crow. But now, like, you know, the place, now the criminals are supernaturally defended. So she has to outthink uh, she has to outthink Sybil uh, and her gang to eventually bring her down, and that's and that's the whole thing is that she finds out that the reason Sybil's taking all these precautions, Sybil's trying to cheat her own fate. Sybil knows how she's going to die, so the real trick is the that's how Sarah defeats Sybil. Sarah, as the crow, pieces together the uh, uh, the prophecy of how Sybil's going to die, and then makes those things happen, thus making Sybil's death inevitable. I see. And um, what's the title of it? Uh, I'm gonna call. Uh, I'm gonna call. Uh, crow. See the crow. Uh, Days of Future Past. There you go. Because <laughs> it's all prophecy based. Alex, what's yours? So when someone's wrongfully murdered and they want to wreak vengeance, we all know what's going to happen, right? We've seen this shit before. So instead, this is going to be the process of what happens in between the death and the return back to Earth. And it turns out when and when you enter the afterlife, you have to file all these like it's a, a huge bureaucracy where you have to like file all these like requisition forms and paperwork and stuff. And there's a whole like you know multi-level like RMV-esque place to go to, you know, almost like the Beetlejuice, you know. So it's like if you want to, you know, avenge your you and your son's death, you have to file a requisition, undead form W12A. Remember to bring a number to a pencil. And, you know, you have to also work out your persona, what kind of animal you want to return as, or if you want to embody the animal. So, you know, he has to go and, like, audition, and, like, alongside there's other guys like, you know, like Ricky the Vengeance Falcon and, like, Wally the Revenge Wombat. And they have to, like, do their shtick and get, like, approved. (laughs) Your magic magic animal has to be licensed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you got people being like, ah, I'm Frankie the Revenge Flamingo, and I'm Polly the Mean Penguin. You took my pog collection on Earth, damn you. And they have to get approved, like, you know, was your death that wrongful, or were you just pissed, uh, you know. <laughs> so it's called Crowocracy. Uh, don't forget to fill your forms out. Very good. In fact, your cat in the background almost sounded like a crow, so. Exactly. That's... He's, he knows. Clever commentary. Um, <laughs> okay. So on to what you're watching. Um I watched a, a sequel that, that just came out as of this recording. It was a uh, Borat subsequent movie film. Oh, yeah. I saw on, that on as Am- well. On Amazon Prime. I, I don't want to get into it too much because we might talk about it later on a proper episode of the show. But I think I think it's well done. I was reminded the most of the, the Jackass spinoff movie Bad Grandpa, where it has more of a narrative and you have kind of a, a, a second banana character. But it actually... Um, 
I, th- I think it worked pretty well. You know, the trailer did spoil a lot of the gags, especially early mm-hmm. on in the film, but you can't quite avoid that. And for uh, Sasha Baron Cohen to try and like stealth do a movie um, in the middle of the pandemic, which I mean, I don't think that was his intention. Just oh no, it clearly wasn't. And the climax yeah. of the movie has so much to do with the pandemic. I am oh, really yeah. curious what they originally um, intended for the end of the film. Uh-huh. Right, and the climax of the movie I actually found believable too. Like it, it ties in in ways to the first that you don't need to see the first, but you might get it more. And they do some they do some callbacks, but not as much as you would. Well, think. well, that's the thing is like when when Borat's on camera, like for the first time, his first line of dialogue basically addresses and then breaks from all of the most quoted lines from the first film, and then those never come back. Mm-hmm. Which I think yeah. is a very small move. Uh, along those lines, I also checked out on um, it's on YouTube, but you can I think, purchase these as an import. The first season of uh, the Ali G show was actually yeah. in England. We only got the second and third seasons on HBO in America. Um, and oh, wow. and that first season, it's just Ali G and Borat. It doesn't have Bruno, and uh, I, I feel like I'm missing a lot. I don't really get some of the political stuff in there but um i was watching it mainly for the borat clips and those uh are as as good as ever and just shows he just had such a clear vision for that character apparently when uh, sasha baron cohen is borat it's the same unwashed suit for all these years it smells really bad oh my goodness i love it and uh that's something he uses to i think that can also the stench of the suit and throw people off but it's oh. yeah and I, I do love the poster image of of Borat using a mask <laughs> as a mankini. Um, I mean, that's like perfect. It embodies the character like to a T. Right. You don't need any words in the poster. There's just that. If, because uh, it's on Amazon video, if you go to amazon.com, they have these clever kind of animated advertisements for it where Borat's trying to get out of the way of the animated GIF and it's, uh, it's pretty good. So yeah, I I think it's it's well done, and the um, the actress that plays his daughter is uh, is good and has a lot to do and has her own storyline in a way later in the film. Nice. Uh, Th- Thrasher. No, I I overall I, I I really enjoyed it. I was I was both surprised and skeptical when I found out this movie was coming out, but I think I think this is the movie that the times demand. Uh, and in addition to being just laugh out loud funny. On multiple occasions, you know, it, it speaks to a tremendous number of the issues of the day. Also, despite the fact that I've already voted, I voted early uh, for the current United States election cycle. This really did a great job recharging my righteous rage. Yeah, good. And and the the big thing in the news from this is the Rudy Giuliani scene, which is towards oh, yeah. the end of the movie. And uh, you know, watch it and make your own decision, but. Rudy Giuliani's excuse of he was adjusting his microphone deep in his pants is is a very lame excuse. Oh my goodness! Like he's he's not necessarily manipulating himself, though he very uh. well might be. Um, uh, but but that being that being said, everything else in that scene is also in it, like is stuff he should not be doing. So I don't. So it's weird yeah, to fixate on that one thing. Yeah, at the at the least, ethically, it's it's dubious. Um, 
And, and the, like, uh, the thumbnail of Giuliani that they used for, like, the article of, like, him yes, calling out stuff yes. is, like, the worst picture ever. I made a mm-hmm. lot of memes from it. I'll share he with you guys. He does not photograph well. He has not photographed well in almost 20 years. Yeah, and no, neither does his uh, client. <laughs> it's it's really something. I mean, they get it's a pretty kind of a deep cut, but at one point, Borat is talking to him about the journalist. He's like, oh, she is not your cousin. I don't know if you'll like her. Because Giuliani's first wife was like his second cousin. Yeah, it was something, something like that. Yeah, there's something along those lines. It's, it, uh, it was it was the kind of marriage that the European aristocracy would have approved of. <laughs> it, the other thing I thought was cool that um, Sacha Baron Cohen has done in a lot of his movies is they have like covers of music done in these like I don't know if it's fake foreign languages or how they're doing it, but these really bizarre arrangements. Yeah, I loved I loved that. Uh, I'm like coming to out. Move it that happened. Oh yes, uh, yeah. with the credits. It's uh, quite something. Excuse me, uh, Alex. Oh, uh, so I watched a long time blind spot. Uh, Scream three. I've never seen that I, one. You know, I've seen one, two, yeah. and four, but not three. Hmm. I had, uh, obviously seen one ad nauseum. I watched that over and over when it came out. Naturally, being a horror fan and kind of gore monger. Um, and the second one, you know, our pay-per-view used to lapse, so it would just play the same movie over and over for, like, an entire day. So I saw Scream <laughs> like, 50 times. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I, I still think it holds up. So revisiting the trilogy, I saw the third, or quadrilogy, I guess. Um, I saw the third one for the first time, I think, the night before last. And I actually I quite liked it. Um, it, it. I won't spoil the ending. It takes a, the, the final act takes a while to get going, but um, it's got a lot of fun meta references, as you'd expect, along the way. And um, there's some fun performances. A lot of, you know, characters playing characters, like Parker Posey plays um, Courtney Cox's character in, in the Stab movie within the movie. And mm. that's a lot of fun. So it's got some good references. And um, I think they have a little... They, they let the jokey part overwhelm the horror part. But I think by the time we get to the third film, it's entirely fair to go that direction. So uh, Scream 3 totally uh, holds up and is a lot of fun. Yeah, there's you know a Scream really 5 coming out. Did? Yeah. I, I wish they would actually make a stab movie. I know, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. do a parody or satire of the film series in a movie that is a, an extension of the series. Yeah, that would make because a lot of to, sense. They had to have filmed enough footage to show, you know what I mean, to put the stab films in the screen movie. So, you know, it's already half done. Right. And, you know, maybe you could make it like an anthology film where it would be like the different stabs made on different eras commenting on different or, kinds of horror movies you or... could watch you could marathon in the screen films and have the stab movies as bumpers in between that's, that's a good idea yeah sure um there's a lot of things you could do with that we'll see what kind of reference they'll make to stab when scream 5 comes out there also was a scream tv show on mtv for a few seasons uh there was wasn't there i, Damn, I never saw it but show. yeah they they and I think Scream 4 was Wes Craven's last movie. I think so, yeah. Mm. And Wes Craven was just like such a mensch. He just uh, sounded like the best guy ever. Yep, he was one of the uh, the Titans or Kitty Categories. Um, yeah. So let's, let's, yeah. let's do the, uh, the sequel scene. You want to set the stage, Thrasher? Uh, yeah, so we, we've decided we're going to just straight up do the peep show scene. So this is right. the uh, character Nemo. 
uh, going to who has a delightful beauty mark, like a heart shaped beauty mark on his on his uh, upper lip. Who's uh, going to uh, the peep show, which has that like tokens for girls, that like weird loop audio <laughs> advertising the peep show. And of course, you know he has his interaction. There's a bit of masturbation, uh, and then he's confronted by the crow. Yeah, this movie did really stand out for me that if you do masturbation just filmed in extreme close-ups, it, it's really uncomfortable. Like, it's just a guy <laughs> grunting and sweating. And then you get a wide shot, and, like, his leather pants are so tight, like, he has them maybe uh, down uh, an, an inch. Like, I, I can't... You could do a Mr. Bean sketch about that, perhaps, but I don't know if anyone would want to see that. <laughs> uh, so who wants to be what, what part here? I'll I'll do I'll be uh, Holly Days the uh, the peep show performer. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll be uh, Nemo. Well, it's there Ash. Oh yeah, Ash Corvin. Okay, yeah, that's you, the you crow. Be... Okay, yeah. let's uh, let's go and then Thrasher. Can you read the parenthetical when we get there? Oh, certainly. The stage direction. Okay. You got a name. Holly Days. You want me, baby? Uh, uh, I I want to see some sugar. Sugar. Right on, sister. Is that for me? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to celebrate Christmas a little early this year. Do you want me? Smiles. Baby. You. Me. <laughs> and then he explodes <laughs> through the glass. That dialogue's even worse when you read it. Jeez. It's... Oh. I, 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 I do... Like, wait. Huh. All sorts of things. Yeah, it. I wonder if we would ever get, you know, uh, versions of maybe a comic of what the original script was supposed to be. I'm just at one point, like the setting was being considered Victorian London. Such a book yeah, might already all exist. I'll, I'll dig into that. Much better than everything yes. that we got. Yeah. And and you'll like this, Thrasher. Next week's uh, movie, Crow Salvation is uh, loosely based off a Crow tie-in novel written by Poppy Z. Bright. Oh, yeah, I know Poppy Z. Bright. Yep. So, oh, you know what? Novel... We'll also talk about the... Uh, I'll also want to talk about the abandoned third Crow movie that Rob Zombie was going to do. Oh, it was in the future or something? Yeah, and it was animated. Uh, huh. Well, he did do that with the Adventures of Super Bisto or something. He did some cartoon... Oh, yeah, The Adventures of El Super Beast. The Haunted World of El Super Beasto. Yeah, he did eventually do an animated movie. But I don't think that was using any of his Crow concepts. Right. Um, okay, so, as I mentioned, next time on SequelCast 2, we'll be doing The Crow Salvation, the third film in the series. If you're looking to follow along with this, uh, they have a DVD on Amazon that's pretty cheap that has um, the Crow 2 th through 4 crammed on one DVD, so you know that's good image quality. Um, it's a cheap way to get into the series, and uh, yeah, so there you go. So uh, follow me on Twitter, at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, write a, a good review for us over on the Apple Podcast app. All that stuff helps with the downloads. And you can uh, download past episodes of the show at SequelCast2.com. Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at InternetMayor. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if the Kickstarter is going to be live, but I'm involved in another tabletop gaming Kickstarter. Uh, look for on Kickstarter at the Shrine of Authoris. That is O-T-H-R-Y-S. I am going to be doing cartography and encounter tables for this, uh, 
Dungeons third-party Dungeons and Dragons adventure module that Skirmisher Publishing LLC is putting out. Also, one of the first stretch goals. If you want to support me, let's hit that first stretch goal because the the one of the first stretch goals is full color maps. Uh, so that's more work for me, but that's also more cheddar coming my way. So at the Shrine of Authoris on Kickstarter. Nice. Um, Alex. Oh, you can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. And uh, if you want to check out the YouTube channel, The Trailer Project, you'll see some cool horror-themed stuff and some trailer commentaries. Very good. So, um, for SequelCast 2, this is Matt. This is Thresher. This is Alex. Saying, I'm your boogeyman, boogeyman. Turn me on, I'm your boogeyman, boogeyman. Do what you want. You ever cross the line? Yo, I'm like the crow, low down and dirty. As I handle my business and as I take you on this journey. It ain't no CDF angels where I'm at. It's just people.